What is up, podcast? Joe Money here, host of your show. Today is June 28th, 2019. You are tuned into episode nine, where I interview Steven Spicer, who is the founder of Spicer Capital, which is a financial advisory firm that he started a few years back when he left his guaranteed six-figure job. Steven and I go in depth today on one of his most popular YouTube videos titled, how to protect your portfolio in a stock market crash. Now, I highly suggest that you guys go and check out Steven's page on YouTube. He's coming up on 10,000 subscribers, and he has many videos that have 20 and even 30,000 plus views per episode. So he's definitely putting out some great content. And as you'll soon hear as we get going with the interview that I just had with him, he really knows what he's talking about. And that's why I had zero hesitation getting him on the show. And I'm very grateful that he took time out of his busy schedule to come on the Joe Money Podcast, talk with me, and share his expertise with you guys who are my listeners. So thank you for tuning into the show. I hope you enjoy it. It's a great one. And let's get right to it. All right, Stephen, thank you for joining me on the Joe Money Podcast today. How's your day been so far? Been great. Glad to be here. Awesome. Awesome. Glad to have you here. Thanks for taking some time out of your day to come on and talk to me. And I, I know you have a lot of knowledge and info that you have to share with my listeners today. So I'm pumped to have you on. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, no, I'm excited to be here. Great, great. So basically, my podcast is all about teaching people how to obviously get their money right. And most of my listeners are young people who want to, you know, get involved in the stock market. They want to learn how to invest, how to build a portfolio. So basically, kind of take me back. Tell me how you got into finance, entrepreneurship, and, you know, where, where did it all begin for Steven? Yeah, sure. I, I mean, if you want to go way back, I mean, I, I think my, my biggest influence came from my father. He was a, a business owner. He owned a car dealership. He owned an RV dealership. He owned a bunch of different things. And so I always had that entrepreneurial mindset growing up. Um, and he, he got me interested at an early age and in the market. And, uh, that's, I, I, I think it was, I was 12 when I, I asked my mom to order a stock for me. It wasn't a great, wasn't a great pick. I, I bought <laughs> Microsoft and that was like 1999. So, uh, you know, it was right before it, it crashed. It took 15 years before it hit new highs, but it was a company I was familiar with. And, um, I think that that year I got the, started getting the Wall Street Journal for, I asked for it for Christmas. Not that I read it, but I liked looking at the numbers. And um, so that was the early exposure. And, um, you know, always through college, I knew that that's what I wanted to do. And I, I played around a little bit in the market. And uh, when I graduated, I became a financial advisor and I kind of went off from there. Good stuff. I mean, how does somebody really even know what the stock market is at age 12? Like what was that first kind of <laughs> thing that introduced you to that? Well, I, my, my grandfather had actually started a small investment portfolio for me. And so I don't know, I, I think it was, uh, just the fact that my parents would, they, they made me aware of the fact that that existed. Um, you know, and, and maybe it, I was lucky. I mean, I'm not, you know, I was lucky to have that. Uh, but it was, yeah, I mean, I remember them talking about Quaker and Pepsi. And I remember, you know, Quaker stock split back, back then. And so just the things that kind of got me excited about 
the fact that I owned parts of those companies. And I, yeah, I think it was just my parents talking to me at a young age. So that's definitely influenced how I am with, with my kids. Um, I have three boys and, and, you know, we talk about money and I, I think that that had a good impact on me and I, I hope it will on them as well. Yeah. I mean, it, it sounds like they're in good hands. Um, how, how old are your kids right now? Three boys. The oldest is almost seven and then okay. four and one. So you're starting them very young. <laughs> yeah. Well, the oldest is very inquisitive. So that's, that's why, right. I mean, he right. asks a lot of questions and so uh, we talk about it. So is he showing money, interest in money and, you know, the stock market already as well? He is. I mean, he'll talk about his, his favorite companies are, I mean, he'll list the ones that he knows, you know, Google's on there, Apple's right, on there. Right. Uh, and then he'll, he'll say, you know, Google's his second favorite company, um, but it's after Spicer Capital. Spicer Capital is his, <laughs> his favorite company. So that's, you know, it's, it's sweet. But yeah, his, I mean, his concept of money, obviously it's, you know, sometimes it's painful to, to you know, he's, he's seven, so he doesn't, he doesn't fully get it, but Definitely. I mean, He's trying, he's interested in, so it's, it's really interesting to see. Great. Hey, it sounds like he has a bright future head, um, <laughs> but great segue there, Spicer Capital. Tell me about that, how that gets started, and how long have you been doing that? Yeah, so I, I was managing money from 2010 to 2015, um, and you know, I was, I was working for a large brokerage house, uh, and I was just you know, plug and play. This is what, what every, almost every advisor does, except for the ones who get frustrated and end up going off on their own. So, you know, if you're working with a financial advisor or you're thinking about becoming a financial advisor, this is what's ahead for you. But it's, you know, it's, you don't really have too much say over how your clients are invested. Um, you know, and so I was there managing my own money as well in my, my, my spare time and my free time because I, I enjoyed that. Uh, but as far as what I was able to do with my clients, I was really restricted because, you know, the firm I was working for, they have to make money. So I was limited on the types of funds I could use. I was limited on the individual stocks I could put them in. Uh, that was a process. It was really expensive for my clients. And so I didn't do, I wasn't able to do nearly as many things as I did for myself. And over those five years, I mean, my personal portfolio was outperforming what, what I was even allowed to do for my clients. And that was, right, right. That was obviously frustrating. Uh, and so that's, that yeah, finally became fed up with that. And I was like, you know, what? I just need to do this on my own. You know, I had people who wanted me to manage their money. And so I, in 2016, I went off on my own at the beginning of that year. And I took some of those people who wanted me to manage their money. I, I started a small hedge fund. I did that for about a year. And I uh, just spent all of that time researching, you know, when I wasn't managing the money, um, just to try to find the best ways to, to invest. I mean, you know, I, I, that was my responsibility now. And it was, it was fun. Uh, but it also made me aware of some of the problems with that traditional investment paradigm that the way that everyone is told to invest, uh, you know, the stock and bond only approach that I had to do at my old firm. Um, and so I, I started to look around and realize that the nobody, nobody was talking about that. Nobody, like everybody was continuing to preach the same thing over and over again, that, that stock and bond portfolio. And so that's why I felt I guess you could say compelled to, to do more. You know, I was just managing sure. money for a handful of high net worth individuals and, uh, you know, accredited investors, right? People with a lot of money. And that, that only makes you feel so good, <laughs> right? I mean, they, you're only helping a limited number of people. So I, I put that on hold and that's when I started. Uh, that's probably where Spicer Capital as it is today was, was born. And that was in 2017. And it took me a long time because I'm, I guess I'm, I'm older, I'm older than you are. So it, it took me a long time to find platforms that really spoke to, 
to my way of, of teaching. I wasn't until about a year ago that I found YouTube and uh, you know, I enjoyed, I realized I enjoyed making videos. It gave me a good opportunity for people to get to know me, see me. They could, you know, they could hear me before ever interacting with me. And that, and that, that helped a lot. Um, and then uh, it was, wasn't until the beginning of this year that I found Instagram and I've really enjoyed. Uh, I, I love that platform just, and I know that, that you probably had similar experiences with it, but just the ability to interact with people one-on-one is, that's, that's great. I mean, people can ask me individual questions and I can actually feel like I'm having an impact there. Uh, you, you don't really have that on, on YouTube. For sure. Yeah. So I that's, mean, how, that's how it grew. That's, uh, that brings us to today. Yeah. I mean, that, that's getting right into the, the depth of social media and actually turning it into a social media platform and using it as a networking tool to create relationships and even business relationships with people. So it's great to see you taking advantage of the new technology, um, even if you may be a little bit older, um, (laughs) in order to help that boost your business. So that's pretty cool to see. Yeah, and I just meant like by the age thing. That's why, that's my excuse for why it took me so long to get here because I could have in 2017, whenever I first started to try to get my message out there, I could have jumped on those platforms, but I didn't, I, you know, I, I went, I, I ended up writing a book in that time period. Like I turned my, my notes from my research year into, into a book and, you know, I was doing blog stuff and, and then I realized there was a better way to, to get my message out. Definitely. So. Hey, well, better late than never. And yeah. you're doing a lot better than most people who have been on the platforms for longer than you have are doing currently. So props to you, that. you're doing something right. Um, your content, both on Instagram and YouTube is pretty great. I've taken a look at it. And just the, the etiquette of that is just beyond compared to a lot of different content creators. You have top-notch content and it's visually appealing and it's also absolutely informative info. Wow. Thank you. Uh, that, that means a lot coming from you with the, with the experience that you've had. So Definitely. I really, really appreciate that. And uh, taking a quick step back, um, kind of tell me about that transition from the actual firm into basically leaving, ditching the whole paycheck and becoming an entrepreneur and a business owner because a lot of people that I talk to and a lot of people listening right now may be at that point where they want to leave their job and just what are some some ups and downs that you went through in that time that might be able to help people listening. Sure and I'd be glad I mean anybody who has individual questions obviously that's always a little bit easier than speaking to the masses but yeah I'm happy to share my experience because uh, yeah I mean I, so the, the previous two years before leaving you know, those were six figure years for me, you know, so I was, I was doing well, I was a top producer. Um, and then, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with like the golden handcuffs that, that you find with financial firms like that, but you know, all the, the trailing commissions and stuff. Um, you know, I had residuals that would have paid me, uh, 65,000 a year. I mean, at least that following year for doing nothing. So I could have just kept my contract open and done nothing for 2016 and I would have paid, made $65,000, which, uh, so that was, it was hard to leave. Um, I, I had some savings and so that, that helped influence that decision. Um, but it was also pretty stressful with my family situation. I mean, I had, you know, I had my, my wife, I had, um, I had two kids at that point and you know, a, and we a lot were, of people depending on you. Yeah. And so, I mean, it, it was, I, I don't know if I went back, I don't know if I would have done it the same way. Maybe I would have tried to, ease into it a little bit more, you know, try to get around my compliance and and start building that brand before I left. And a lot of people have that flexibility uh, to do that. And I know that you work full time and you're doing this thing on the side. Um, 
presumably with ambitions to make that full time at some point. That transition. Exactly. Yeah. And that's, and that's awesome. I, I think that's probably, that would be an ideal way to do it if that's feasible. Definitely. I had a lot of regulatory issues preventing me from doing that. Like my firm didn't want me, you know, they wouldn't let me put things on YouTube, wouldn't let me do things on Instagram. Right. So, and that's how exactly. most of the firms are. So yeah, I had, I had restrictions, but I mean, I definitely easing into it would have been much nicer. Okay. Great advice. Yeah. It's a recurring um, theme of mine having people on the show that have been in the firm and also started creating content on their own and they kind of get that slap on the wrist from the, the yeah. boss or the manager and they, they tell you, you know, what are you doing? You can't be doing that. So right. it's just something we have to deal with. But so I, I did come across um, one of your YouTube videos, which I think would make for some great conversation and content today in this episode. Yeah. And your YouTube video was how to protect your portfolio in a stock market crash. And you have five different ways that you believe based on your expertise, your research, this is one of the best ways to, to achieve that goal. So if you're down, I'd love to just kind of go through that list with you today, kind of have you break it down a little bit more. I do know you, you went through it greatly in the video, very in depth. Um, And I will link that in the show notes for people to take a look at after the show. But if we could just talk about that a little bit right now, I think that would be great. Yeah, absolutely. And then that is, I mean, that was, I, I'm glad that you noticed that one. It, it's one of my most viewed if somebody's trying to find it, but yeah, you'll link to it. Um, but that's, uh, I put a lot of, I mean, that's kind of the quintessential like example of my MO with what I'm doing, like what I'm trying to accomplish here. I mean, I, yeah, I think, I think a lot of people, a lot of people who are public voices for stock market investing today haven't been through a crash. And so that definitely, um, that definitely changes the, the influence that new investors are getting. Uh, and and it, it, it only offers one side of the, like one perspective and it, it totally ignores or just is just out of, you know, the fact that they haven't been through it. I mean, it, it, it avoids that side, that very important side of a market cycle, you know, the crash. I mean, that's, that can be devastating. The, the psychological um, aspect. Yeah. And there's, there's so much, there's so much to that. And so that's why, you know, I was, that was one of my big pulls to get in, to get on, in, onto YouTube because the most popular influencers there had been investing since like 2009. And so, you know, their message was, it was just missing that, that element. And so that, that was a, that's a big part of my focus. So yeah, I'm glad you, glad you picked up on that. Um, a funny story about that one. It, it used to be called like the thumbnail was how to crash proof your portfolio. And there was five actionable, actionable steps to crash proof your portfolio. But I actually got uh, the threat. It was a cease and desist letter. So th- the threat of a lawsuit uh, for using the term crash proof uh, followed wow. by something investment related because apparently some guy, you can look him up, crash proof retirement is his product, but that's, he's trademarked that and it's, you know, he's trying to sell annuities. And he said that my video was creating confusion for his for his listeners. So interesting. I think it was well, yeah. that YouTube video had way more views than all of his. <laughs> that, that might be the reason, but yeah. Um, no, I just, I, I talked to my lawyers and they said if it actually went to court, it would be like pushing a hundred thousand dollars to fight it. Um, wow. you know, like to fight his ability to trademark the word crash proof, which is a pretty common use term. So right, right. To, I'll just let it, I'll let that one go. Not even worth it. Just switch around. the name and you know, yeah. get your point across. Um, yeah, so so I, I think the name you have on it now, how to protect your portfolio from a crash is a great 
a great okay, way. Well, good. I'm glad, yeah, I'm glad, I'm glad it's still called to you. So yeah, no, the, the first one, if you just want me to go through it, I mean, the, the first one is I think probably the best for people who are just getting started investing and they're worried about, about a crash, right? I mean, you know, we were 10 years into a, a bull market, yep. so it, it's a legitimate concern. Um, one of the best ways to start investing would be by looking into dividend stocks. Um, and, and the reason for that is because as the market starts to crash, a lot of people are, when they're first investing, are really excited about growth stocks. I mean, those are the ones that, that are excited. You get excited to jump into, right? Because they're, they're moving, they're happening, they're, they're fun. Uh, but when the market starts to crash, those are the ones that come down the fastest. And that's because people are leaving those stocks. And when they're looking for a new place to put their money, either they park it in cash or they find a safer stock and a company that has consistently paid a dividend and still has a healthy balance sheet, that's where a lot of that smart money goes. And so even though those stocks are still damaged during crashes, they're not damaged by near as much as the rest of the market. And so it's a good safe place to be. Um, you still need to mentally prepare yourself for what might happen in a crash. I mean, they can still go down. They can still go down by a lot. Um, but historically, they go down by way less than the average stock. And so that's a good place to go. I hadn't, since that time I've made, I don't know if you've downloaded this, I've made a, a dividend checklist. Uh, it's like 11 must ask questions uh, that, that people can run themselves through. It's, it's what I run myself through when I have a dividend stock and I'm trying to decide if it's worth looking any further into that stock. Like if it's worth my time to research it. Sure. Um, you know, if it has a high dividend yield and so I'm excited about it, but then I, there's just quick formulas and equations that can show you if there's some alarm bells and reasons to not, not even consider it further. So I, that's I, something haven't, that, I haven't come across it yet, but it's definitely something right well, after this you, show. I'm going to start looking. <laughs> I can send you that link and then you can put it in the show notes if you think it's, if it's worthy, but yeah, I'll share that for sure. Yeah. So that's, that's, that's where I'd start. I mean, I think if people are, are new to the market, that's the safest place to, to get in. They'll be tempted to, to go for the growth stocks. Um, but there's a lot of downside with that. Um, and that, that goes into the second point, which was the, the second way that people can crash proof their portfolio is, I hope I don't get sued for saying it on your podcast. I hope he's not listening, but um, <laughs> is by, by understanding the risk and reward of each individual stock. Um, I feel like so many people pay attention to the upside, but they don't think about the, the downside. Definitely. And if you only focus on the downside and you make sure that when you get into stocks, you're well under what they're worth, you, you know, you always have that margin of safety there. Um, you know, what it's, what you think it's actually worth, uh, what you think it's actually worth compared to where the market puts it. If you're always investing, you know, at that discount, then most scenarios are, are good ones, right? Even if it doesn't live up to what you think it's where it should be, you, it's still a positive, a favorable scenario. Uh, if you're worried about, if you're only getting in stocks where you have limited downside. Uh, but I think so many people focus on the upside that that, that gets them into trouble. Um, and that's, I think you could spend your whole investing career focusing and honing on, honing in on those, on those skills of finding uh, the right kind of stocks and when to get in them. Uh, yeah, I think that's great. Yeah, I mean, keep keep going. Um, that's okay. that's two out of five so far. Um, yeah, so I, the, I guess kind of like a little break I could give you is um, when you're talking about these stocks are for new investors. Are you kind of leaning towards having them go through and pick individual stocks themselves through like a dividend checklist that you provide, or is it 
is it safer? Is it better for a new investor to just kind of look into an S&P 500 index fund? Yeah. So I, I think a new investor should probably diversify through ETFs would be, would be, would be great initially. Um, I think long-term you will be better off if you get to know your portfolio a little bit more intimately. Um, and that, cause I mean, if, if you think about it, if you're just invested and this is where like the traditional, the traditional portfolio would tell you to invest in a S and P 500 ETF and then invest in a bond fund and then you're good. So we're, we're kind of coming up on step three already. Yeah. Yeah. And that's where, yeah. So, uh, you know, that's what everyone would tell you to do. My, like my, I have a couple problems with that. Uh, one is that historically that doesn't work. Like we've been told, investors have been told to do that for decades. I mean, I think the initial concept was like in the fifties with, with, uh, with, uh, Markowitz, right. Uh, anyway, so yeah, that's, uh, that hasn't worked. I mean, since that time, over the last 30 years, the average investor earns about 3% per year investing in the market, whereas the S&P 500 has earned about 10% per year over that same time period. Right, right. I mean, even though we've known that we should, that we should just stay the course, we should diversify across stocks and bonds, and it just doesn't work psychologically. You, you tell me, you can tell people that as much as you want and they have, but it just, you know, they still underperform. You know, they sell at all the wrong times. They panic whenever the market starts to crash because they're not actually prepared for it because it doesn't happen very often. Um, but then the second, my second problem with that is that that rationale, the, the idea behind using just a stock and bond only portfolio is based on a, a lot of time, but it's still only like 100 to 150 years worth of data, uh, which to put that in perspective has only been about 15 crashes. Um, which isn't, that's not very much. I mean, every crash is a little bit different. The, the, the way that it manifests is a little bit different. I mean, before 1989, I don't know, are you familiar with what happened in Japan in 1989? I, I saw you mention it in that video. Yeah, the, the, the market crashed by, uh, the market crashed significantly in December of 1989. Uh, it ultimately fell, it took 20 years for it to hit the bottom where it, it, it bottomed out. Well, so far it still hasn't made new highs, so it could go lower again, I guess, exactly. uh, but it bottomed out 80% lower than where it was. And right now it's sitting a little above half, halfway where it was in 89. I mean, so we're, we're 30 years, almost about to complete the 30th year since that time period and investors who had like gone all in at the top and invested in that traditional portfolio, stock and only portfolio, they were screwed, right? I mean, they, they lost so much money. And so that's, I mean, before that time period, people would have told you there was no way that could have happened because historically it's never happened. Uh, but, but then it happened. And it's, I mean, it's the same with like, you know, 19, 1929 in the United States, the market crashed by 90%, 89%. Uh, and then it took 25 years to hit new highs. I mean, that's, that's a long time. People, a, a lot of people aren't, time. aren't prepared for that. And they aren't prepared for those dramatic drops that get you to a, an 89% crash. And that's not to say that that's even the, the limit. I mean, it could, it could crash more than that. People, and people aren't prepared for that. I'm not suggesting that it will. I'm just saying it, it is absolutely a possibility. Um, you know, just because something is the worst that has ever happened in history, that doesn't mean that it, it can't, something else can't happen in the future. And so exactly. you, don't, you don't think about that. You don't start to realize that until you're in that moment and the market's crashing. And then people are like, Oh, oh crap. It, it could, it could crash by like, then they remember those examples. And this is all my money. My, all my money is going down. Yeah. Yeah. And once it's, once it's down 10%, 20%, 30%, maybe you can, you can come back to those mantras of like, Oh, stay the course. Like, you know, just be disciplined. You'll be fine. But 
but when, when does your mind freak out and when do you sell? Like play, like that's what I encourage my clients to do and uh, anybody to do with their money. I mean, play that out in your head. Like what about when it's down 40%, 50%, 60%, you know, you're freaking out, right? That's a lot of money. I mean, if you had a million dollars in there, now you're down to 400,000. Like, especially if you're about ready to retire, yeah. you know, what were you depending on? And then it, when you realize that in the past, it's gone down 90%, are you prepared to only have 100,000 and then perhaps be below the lows for a couple decades? Not if you're trying to retire, that, like, that yeah. won't work. Not so if maybe you're 40, you 50, 60, you don't have time for that. Yeah, yeah, maybe you sell out at 60% down because you have your $400,000 and you're just like, I, this sucks, but at least I can eat, you know? Like, at least I can, I can retire and, on something. And, and that's, I mean, that happens. Like some, some form of that happens. Even if you're young though, I mean, you see that kind of crash happening, you freak out, you panic. I mean, if you're not, if you're not prepared for it. Yeah. And, and part of the problem is like, if you're just invested in the S&P 500, so the S&P 500 is supposed to be, uh, you know, it's, it's the 500 largest stocks in, in the United States, right? By market cap. So it's like 503 stocks or whatever is actually in there. Um, and so the problem with, that I have with, if I were just invested in that, I might freak out because I don't know to an intimate degree, like level any or very many of those stocks that I'm, that I'm holding, right? I'm broadly diversified again across 500 or so stocks. Um, and you know, they say it's supposed to represent the U S economy, but you know, whatever that means, like that's, that's even more complicated when you think about all the different variables and factors in there, there's no way you're going to understand exactly what's going to happen there. Uh, and so what I like about owning individual stocks and why I would ultimately encourage people to slowly build out their portfolio with stocks that they know to an intimate level, like that they have researched, they know inside and out, they're very familiar with, they've played through these emotional scenarios where if the economy is crashing or if something is happening, how does this affect my, my stock? You know, does it have enough cash that it can withstand this? Even if the stock price is crashing, will it still be viable? You know, if it has no debt, that helps. If it's sitting on $100 billion worth of cash, like Berkshire Hathaway, that helps. You know, like there's a lot of like factors that can help, help prepare you for that time. But if, but that only works if you're invested, you know, if like you have 10 different stocks that you are very familiar with. And, and then when the crash happens, you can assess each one of those stocks and say, well, you know, how is this going to perform or how is this crash going to affect my individual stocks? Does that make sense? It, like, it wouldn't makes that make sense you feel more, for sure. more confident if, if that was happening? Yeah, you so actually you actually know what you own. Yes, yes. And that's so, yeah. And that's one, one of the top things that we're told is to only invest in what you know. Whereas yeah. if, you're, if you're investing in the S&P 500, you're invested in 500 companies. You, don't, you only know 20 of them. Right. And that's why, yeah, that, that's why like people say like invest in what you know and okay, yeah, I know the S&P 500, but do you like, what, what does that mean to invest in the S&P 500? And yeah, when you break it down and think about it, there's no way you can keep up with 500 stocks to that level. You know, Buffett says maybe you can do six and he's Buffett. I mean, but you know, others will say like 10 to 15, Yep. Uh, you know, but you know you and you know how much time you have. And, and yeah, I mean, it's, and that's why I said like, sure. So maybe you're like, okay, but it's not the 500 stocks. It's the U S economy. I'm banking on, I'm banking on the future of, of America, but uh, you know, there's, there's again, like that's what I was saying earlier. There's so many deals. And it's, it changes every yeah. four years. <laughs> yeah, you can't, you can't, there's so much, there's so much going on there. And it's, there's no way you're going to keep up with it. That's there are more than 500 variables you'd have to keep up with there. And that's right. Anyway. right. So yeah, you, you should invest in what you know. And definitely. I think that, I think that's a lot of good advice. Um, you're taking a very practical, you know, realistic mindset approach to that. 
um, it is scary for somebody, even myself at 25. So I don't pose myself as a financial expert. I'm not out here giving advice, telling people, you know, you should do this, you should do that. Because personally, you know, I'm not licensed, I'm not registered for that. And even if I was, what experience do I have? I've, I've been watching the market for five, six years maybe at most. So I can, I can listen to these videos. I can listen to people tell me, you know, you should do this, you should do that. But when it comes down to it, am I going to stick to that? Is it going to be that easy? Of, of course, we have 100 to 150 years of statistical data proving that. But numbers don't lie. Whereas when you, when it comes to human psychology, you're, the numbers don't matter anymore. So that that's something even myself who is somebody interested in the market in tune thinks I'm doing the right things each day. I don't even know in that situation how I'll how I'll react because I haven't done that yet. So yeah. how am I going to tell somebody how to do that when I haven't even done that myself? Yeah, when I I appreciate that, and that's why yeah. I like I, I mean. So, I mean, I am, when I'm just giving advice, when I'm giving advice to people, it's, it's just, you know, it's, it's for you managing your own portfolio. Right. And so, you know, I, I get what you're saying, but yeah, it's, you know, I, I spend so much time. I, I doubt people really do it or not very many, but telling people to emotionally, like to mentally and emotionally run themselves through the gambit of scenarios before they invest, before you invest, like know when and why you'll get out, whether it's up or down. Right. Don't just invest because you like the stock and then say, you know, after it's up 20%, 30%, 40%, then say, well, this is up a good amount. Should I get out? And that's not how, that's not how it works. Like you need to understand how much you think that stock is worth. And then if you see a better opportunity, sure. Whether it's up or down, you, you want to sell out of the worst opportunity and buy into the better one. I mean, that's, it doesn't matter how much it's up or down, but then in terms of crash, like prepare yourself for that. If the market starts to fall, like in the whole world, you know, you see everything starting to fall. Maybe there's some stocks that you don't want to be in. Get out of those. And then know the stocks that you're going to stay in no matter what. Like it doesn't matter if the market crashes. I trust this company. And I don't want to say one because I don't want any, everyone to just jump into that one. But like I trust this company, this company, this company, that they're going to be fine. Now I'm still going to be paying attention to their fundamentals. My thesis on that, my idea on that may change. And that's my that's my day-to-day responsibility to keep up with those or week to week. Uh, but, but anyway, yeah, that, that definitely having that familiarity with it helps your confidence. I mean, that, that can be, and that's, that's just that second point in that, in the five, like that can, if you have that intimate understanding with, with your holdings, it makes it so much easier. I I love, I love where this is headed. As soon as I saw that YouTube video, I'm like, we just have to break this down have a conversation together on the show and it's going to give a ton of value to the listeners. And that's what we're doing. Um, I I hope so. Yeah. 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 So moving on number three out of five. So yeah, number three was beyond bonds and stocks. So go into that one. Yeah. So, so right. The traditional stock and bond only portfolio um, is, is what I was targeting there. And that's, that's the root of, so I, I mean, I mentioned my book in that point, the, the, my book's called stop investing, like they tell you, and that it's focused on the flaws with the stock money only. And I, I talked about, you know, in summary already here. Um, but I mentioned in that book, some alternate, uh, t- alternate investments. Um, and my point with that is just to demonstrate how there are other places that you can invest that make sense. Like they're logical. Whenever somebody explains them to you, uh, you just probably haven't ever heard of them before. 
And so that's like, you know, if you open, broaden your horizons a little bit beyond just stocks and bonds, there are other opportunities to diversify your portfolio. Things that uh, are designed to perform better during crashes. That also means that they'll probably perform a little worse during bull markets. Uh, but I mean, you need to understand what your underlying portfolio, why you have it and what, what it is. Anyway, so that, that just introduces the idea of alternate investments or, you know, you're talking about commodities or different types of specialized funds like long short equity funds, managed future funds. Um, and I talk, I think I talk about REITs a little bit there, real estate investment trusts. Those are okay. a little bit different. Uh, recently yeah. they've become more correlated with the stock market. So they're not, uh, but still they're, they're a good way to diversify as well. Because they kind of offer those as an ETF now too. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's just more and more, they're just traded just like the, just like stocks. So it's, definitely. if the market crashes, I would anticipate that a lot of the REITs will crash as well. Exactly. And you mentioned um, market neutral funds as well. So of those, of those four, can you, can you pick one or two maybe that you, we could just go a little deeper in, not like not too much time, but sure. I mean, yeah. Um, like the long short equity funds. I'd like to personally know a little bit more about what you think of them. Yeah. So long short equity funds are actually, so the original hedge fund, which was called a hedged fund, which makes more sense, uh, was called, uh, was by uh, A.W. Jones. And he was pretty, he was pretty quiet. Like you didn't hear much about him. He kept all his stuff to himself until later, but he, he had a long short equity fund and it was, uh, it's pretty, um, he would also leverage his accounts. And I didn't think about this example ahead of time. So I don't, I don't want to mess it up as I, as I give it, um, be, uh, there's, um, there's a book called More Money Than God by, uh, I believe his name is Sebastian Malaby. You okay. can link to that as well if you want, but it's, okay. uh, it's, it's a great uh, history of, of hedge funds. Um, but it talks, about, it talks about this example where um, he compares a portfolio that has stocks and then the conservative portion is bonds and it's like 80% and 20%. Uh, and then he has a portfolio that is in stocks, long stocks, and is short stocks. And the idea is if you are long the best stocks, like the stocks with like that are at the most undervalued or have the highest potential to go up, and you are short the worst stocks. So if you're a good stock picker, right, you can identify the best and the, the worst. That's not guaranteed for everybody. But if, if you can do that, that you're in a much better position with that long short portfolio. Uh, because if the market goes up, you're going to profit from, yep. you're going to profit much more from the longs going up. The shorts will probably still go up and you'll lose a little bit of money, but the longs should go up by much more than the shorts and vice versa. When the market crashes, the longs, everything's going down. The longs should go down by less than, than the shorts. Um, and the way he explains it in that, in the book and, and in his letters to his investors, he, cause he used, he would use leverage and make it to where in his example, where either way it played out, he made money right? If the market crashed, he was making, he was profiting from those, the leverage shorts. So leverage just mean like more exposure, right? Like you're more, 200% more exposed. volatile. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, but, but if you're a good stock picker, right, then it, it's, it's working in your direction. Um, but whereas the, the other side, like if the market goes down, you still lose, you still lose money. Anyway, that's butchered, but that's, that's the basic idea behind a, a long short equity. No, I think you, I think you got the general idea across and you know, I learned something from that today too. So I'm yeah, sure. well, I, was, I mean, it's, it's, so it's, it's probably like doing that yourself is not, I mean, that shouldn't be done casually like shorting. Um, but there are funds that are set up that are already, that are 
you know, long short funds and that you can get exposure to. Definitely. And that's, that, that was the point of, of that, that point in that video was uh, figuring out what those are, learning about them and getting that exposure because that can minimize your downside risk whenever the market's crashing. Great. And you do break all of these down in your mini book as well? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And that's all I go in more detail in there than, than I do in, in that video. Okay. But market neutral, market neutral funds are, are kind of fun um, just be, conceptually because it would be like, that would be making sure that your long short portfolio or your long short positions offset each other entirely. So say for example, you were making a, a, a market neutral fund that just focused on the automotive industry. And you were going to go, you studied all the, all the stocks in the automotive industry. And you said that Ford was the most undervalued. And I'm just making up, I'm, I haven't looked at these recently. So I'm not, I'm not even, this is not advice. Sure, but sure. you said that Ford was the most, and this is actually the example from the book. So it's not, so yeah, it's same from a couple of years ago. Uh, Ford was the most undervalued and GM was the most overvalued of all the stocks in, in, that, in that sector. And so you went long Ford because you're expecting it to go up. And you went short GM because you're expecting it to come back down to the average. And so you go by the exact same amount. What that does though, is that as the market moves, the market movements won't affect your portfolio. The only thing that affects your portfolio is the individual stocks performance relative to the rest of, uh, of that sector, right? Well, really it's relative to GM. So Ford's movement relative to GM. Um, does that make sense? Definitely. So so that's a way of like, if, if you were, so those funds will tend to have like lower returns in a given year because they're not benefiting from just the market's euphoria of going up, uh, but they also can still go up while the market's crashing because they're profiting from the, by identifying the worst stocks as they're going down, they're going down by way more than those best stocks that they were long. So it, it's a way of neutralizing the market's impact at all. Yeah, I get that. I get that. Um, Obviously, probably a little bit, you know, deeper than the the beginner. Yes, but it's and definitely again, definitely something that over time, that's something that could benefit you for sure. Yeah, and over time, you could you could work up to that personally, and you know, if you were just super passionate and wanted to wanted to do it yourself. Um, but the idea there is just you know understanding that those that those funds exist, funds that do that exist. And then, you know, finding a fund manager that you trust and, and that, that does that. Uh, and then you can have that exposure. Um, that's the idea initially. Not, I'm, not, I'm not advocating that, that you go out and do that tomorrow or that anybody listening goes out and do, does that tomorrow. I only do it to a limited we're, degree. We're just itself. presenting it as it is an option. It is something that is out there for right. you in the event that you need it and you understand how to use it. Right. And then conceptually, it, it doesn't take too much to understand how it could benefit you and your portfolio. Definitely. And a, a lot of what my, my brand, my podcast and my page is about is ultimately exposure and bringing ideas to the table, posting daily content. So it's in your face just to get you thinking every day when you see that post, get you thinking about money, thinking about the stock market and get you to take that next step, take that initiative to start doing your own research. I'm trying to you know, share this information, share this content to create self-educated and motivated individuals to take it upon themselves to start doing what's needed to figure it out. And then of course, seeking out a professional like yourself or another who is trusted and known by that person, that individual, that of course is ultimately going to help along the way as well. But 
just exposure, getting the information out there, getting people to think about it. That's, that's what my brand is about. Good. Yeah. Well, so, no, and good. Then, it fits and, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Definitely. So then you have one, one left and that is number five, which is options. Right. Well, I, so four, uh, is diverse. So I, yeah, I don't think we talk about four. Four is a diversifying beyond paper we assets. Four. We skipped four. You're so right. Like tradable securities, um, you know, which would be everything that we've talked about so far. And so, you know, that's like when I'm investing, I invest in, in physical real estate. I invest in the stock market um, and all the stuff we talked about. And then I also invest in my business, you know, and right now most of my money coming in goes to, to my business uh, because that's where I think I'm going to get the highest ROI. But I also know that if the market crashes or if my business goes under or whatever, I'm diversified in these other ways as well. And I, I think that, um, you know, that's more long-term again. Um, but as far as where you start, like that also kind of opens up your options. You know, you don't have to be in the stock market. If you're not passionate about stock market or you're more passionate about real estate, start there. Like, you know, you find, find some way to get involved there and then, and then, and then go from there. I mean, I sure I bought my first stock when I was 12, but I, my first like real investment was in, in 2008 when I bought my first house, my first rental house. And that's, you know, and I started building every, every year I was buying a new rental property. And that was like, that was a goal there. And that's where I was, passionate about building my investments there. And then I moved to my stock portfolio and now I'm working on my business, but you know, it's, it's slowly you, you build it up. But anyway, that, that can really diversify somebody much better than just a diversified portfolio in stocks because it's still all in stocks. So anyway, when you know you have Definitely. something else that's still there for you. Yeah. So, so four was basically residential real estate, rental property and businesses stuff. That's yeah. Not yeah just whatever investment. If it's, if, yeah, if you're interested in it, you're passionate about it, then yes. If you're not, then, then no. I mean, you can't force it uh, because they all take a little bit of work. They all take a little bit of know-how. If you're not Definitely. interested in any of this stuff, then, then yeah, you can find somebody that you trust to manage money for you. And that might be your best option. Trying to force yourself to be interested in it and learn how to do it and manage your own money. That might actually be a worse decision. Even, even worse than not doing it at all. Right. So, so yeah. Then, yeah. Then now number five. Number five. Number five was, uh, I was, you know, it's getting a little bit trickier, but that was, and this, this might uh, interest people as well, but I, I talked about just different options strategies. Um, you, you know, the, the easiest way that people think of as protect, to protect their portfolio from a crash is by uh, using put options on the entire market, right? So if the market crashes, then it, it gives you the ability uh, to, um, it gives you the ability to, to protect the downside of risk of your portfolio, uh, which, you know, I don't know how much detail you want to, you want to get into here, but that's what a lot of hedge funds will do with their portfolio. You can look on their portfolio and you can see that they, that they own, they own put options on, on the market sure. uh, with the ability to, to sell at a certain price. So if it drops significantly, they can buy S and P 500, like an S and P 500 ETF and then sell it at this higher price. Uh, which is what that put option allows them to do. And so that, that puts a downside protection on the portfolio, right. but they cost money. It's, it's insurance. Insurance costs money. So it's not, it's exactly. not, I was going to bring that up. Yep. Yeah. So it's, it's, I mean, it, you, but you have to view it as that and that's how they view it. I mean, they're willing to, to sacrifice 2% of their portfolio, which, you know, ideally they're getting more than that. They didn't, they're not all, uh, but they're willing to sacrifice that for the long term because they know that when a crash happens, it will be extremely valuable for those years when the crash is happening. Um, so Definitely. yes, over the last ten years, we've had a bull run. So they all look they all look like idiots, and they're losing money paying for that for that protection. But 
when a crash happens, you know, we'll, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know how it'll play out for all of them, but that's why they have it. Right. And that's right. why people give them money to manage it and they, they know that that's there because they are looking for the downside and they're, they're protecting against that. Right. Again, I mean, not- you used flood insurance in your video. Um, I yes. come from insurance. So using home insurance is a perfect example. You know, you might have somebody buy their first house at 20 and if they have a mortgage on it for 30 years, they have to have that insurance policy every single year. They can take it off when the mortgage is paid off if they feel that they don't need it anymore. But the bank is, the lender is going to require them to have that insurance. Yeah. And you technically, you know, most people are going to keep that policy on until yeah. the day they die. I think most and people see that as a... Most people don't ever use their home insurance. That's yeah. just the way it is. But, but you, see it as, you see it as a must. Like exactly. it's like... It's like I want this here. You never know. Say if you do have this fire, if this yeah. does happen, you know, I'm, I'm not out 300 K out of my pocket. The, the insurance policy is going to take care of it for me. Right. Right. And that's, yeah. And I mean, I've, I've, yeah, the, that, that house was a great example. I came out way ahead because I, because I had that flood insurance. I was forced to have the flood insurance, but I'm glad I had the flood insurance because yep. it flooded and I got, you know, my mortgage paid off and, uh, and more. So now I have like an infinite ROI on that property. And, and flood insurance is just a whole, oh, a whole nother level. Ridiculous, it's super expensive, a- ridiculous, but glad I had it through the government. Uh, it's not, not fun. Yeah. But, it, but anyway, that's, it's, it's, it's not exactly the same because you know, if the market crashes, you're not going to make quite as much as you would on, I don't, but, it, but it's a great, it's a great example. I mean, that's where like you don't complain after a year of not needing your homeowner's insurance. You don't complain about the fact that you didn't need your homeowner's insurance. You're usually glad. Well, some people do, but <laughs> okay, there you go. Yeah. But that's, so that's why, I mean, yeah, you have to understand what it is when you have that, that protection. It, it, it exactly. is, it is. And most right. people don't get that. They just see some, it as a some, some people out there are just insurance haters. Like that's a real thing. And they just yeah. hate, they hate that they have to have insurance. And you know, you, you get certain States like Florida where you're not required to have car insurance. You don't, you don't have to have it. They have a lot of so, issues. Well, I'm not in Florida, so I don't know. Sure, sure. I'm in New York, yeah. but that's just one example. So yeah, I yeah. was I was just wondering. I would be curious to to you know hear the implicate like what happens as a result of not requiring it. Yeah, I don't know the exact stats, but I do know that's a thing. Well, there you go. Yeah, but, so that's, but that's yeah. You, so, there are different ways you can use options to help uh, you know boost your portfolio a little bit um, without without increasing your your risk. I have a few options videos as well if people are interested like on YouTube, but, but yeah, that's just a, another yeah, I way. think you're definitely going to be a good source for people to head over to your YouTube channel, check out some videos, and then they can also reach out to you on Instagram. So I'll, I'll link all that so they can send you a DM, um, follow your content, which is great. By the way, are you making all of your content? Do you outsource any of that at all? Uh, that's all been me. And I, I have looks yeah, time consuming. <laughs> yeah, very, well, that's, that's very detail oriented. I appreciate that. Well, that's yeah, that's where I'm kind of in a in a yeah, and like I have to figure that out because uh, it does it does take time, and I'm trying to manage a lot of different things. And uh, sure, anyway, so no, I, I I appreciate you you noticing, but yeah, I would never outsource the like the the ideation right, the like the ideas behind each post, uh, but I, I would be interested or entertain the idea of outsourcing like the actual if somebody could match my aesthetic the actual content creation you know like the putting the idea onto the graphic because that yeah that takes me you know an hour and a half to put one of those together and it's like yeah 
don't know if I have the time to, to do that. Again, the, the detail um, and complexity of your, your content is just unreal. Um, but it, it looks great. It looks super professional and I'm a little jealous myself. <laughs> um, is, hey, is there anything else that you feel like we missed that you might want to touch up on? Um, or do you think we got it pretty much covered? I mean, I think, I think we hit on a, on a lot of interesting stuff. I don't know. I mean, Definitely. I, I enjoy the conversation. I mean, I, yeah, I think if, if somebody's just getting started, I mean, I think that one of, one of the, the best ways for people to learn is just to, to get in there and, and, and do it, you know, unfortunately, uh, which means, you know, you're, there's going to be some pain uh, along the way. You know, like I said, my first stock, uh, Microsoft 1999, which crashed significantly with the tech, like the, the dot-com bubble crash took 15 years before it hit a new high. Uh, was, you know, it was doing great now. I don't still own it. Uh, but, <laughs> but yeah, so I mean, that was like, you know, I went through that pretty, like, so right after I bought my first stock, I got to see it crash. And so that was kind of interesting to me. I hadn't seen that. A little wake-up call. Yeah. And then, and then in 2008, you know, I had, I was a few years out of graduating. I had just uh, bought, you know, I had just bought or no, well, so 2008 was right after the crash and I, I had money in the market during that time. Um, and I stayed the course. I didn't do anything with my money. Um, and that's where I kind of, you know, the wheel started turning where I was like, this kind of sucks. Like, I mean, I, I like, I did what I was supposed to do, but I don't, I, I don't feel like this is, the best option. And so it's, it's solely kind of, you know, I didn't, it didn't all hit me right then. Like I said, you know, it took me some time of, of being in the system and being taught the stock and bond only portfolio and, and modern portfolio theory. And that it's definitely going to always go up in the future before I realized that, you know, it all started coming together and clicking that I, I think there's a better way to invest. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I think, I think getting in there, getting some money exposed to the market is, is going to be the best way for anybody to learn. I mean, you, any, any famous legendary investor that you might idolize, like, you know, if you go into their story, most of them will have some story when they, when they early on, when they were investing, where they made a ton of mistakes. Um, and they'll, they'll identify that as the time when they learned the most, the most valuable lessons that they were able to then internalize and use to have success. Um, and so, you know, that was my, my first year when I was man, when I was managing that hedge fund, I mean, I mean, I made, I made a lot of mistakes because I had been casually managing my money and I had been doing great. But then as soon as it was like my job, I felt like I had to do everything and I had to, I had yeah. to like do some create, you know, I had to have super stellar performance and I had to be active and, and I learned a lot of lessons during that time. Um, and you know, a couple of them were, were painful and that's, I mean, so there, there, you know, there are a lot of experiences there where I lost money, um, up until that time. And, um, so yeah, I mean, I think that's one of the best things people can do when they're just getting started. That being said, like, I think, um, I, I think research and analysis and the idea of intimately being familiar, like we talked about with your holdings, um, is under, that's an undervalued trait for investing these days. Sure. Um, it, it's because we are, and this is, this is characteristic of the end of a bull run or this, at least this long into a bull run. I don't know when it'll end, um, where people are, you know, they're, complacent with the fact that stocks just kind of, they either go sideways or they go up in a given year. And that's, you know, that's what happens. And, um, but that's not what always happens. And so, I mean, I think having an understanding, um, and learning how to research and analyze stocks is extremely important. And that's, I mean, you've seen some of my content. I mean, that's my For goal, sure. even when I'm talking about individual stocks, which is what gets people to click on videos. Um, you know, I, 
like I try to work in my, my main MO there is not to, I'm not trying to sell somebody on that stock. I don't care if you buy that stock. I don't, I honestly rather you not because I don't right, want you right. to blame me if it goes south. Exactly. But what I want, what I want is for you to get value from my analysis process for you to see, okay, well, what are some of the things he's looking at? What are some of the, the characteristics of this stock that he likes and why and how it compares to its peers? And I mean, that's, that's what I like. That's, that's what I hope people get from my videos um, is yeah, that they learn how to research and analyze stocks. Very similar mindset and strategy that both of us are implementing. Yeah. 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 Getting, yeah, getting people, like you said, getting people exposed to it, seeing what their options exactly. are. Yeah, I know. I, I like it. Definitely. Hey, well, ton of value in this show. I know the listeners are going to enjoy it because I certainly did. And I, I definitely, so I, we kind of did like a, a little five piece segment here today on a certain topic. Um, I'd love to have you back in the future. Maybe we can, you know, come up with a different set of topic and we can just kind of run through the list together and break it down again, just like we did. And, you know, we'll see, we'll see what happens. Yeah, sure. Anytime. Yeah. Let me know. Love to come on. All right. Great. Steven, thank you so much for coming on the show today and I wish you all the best. Thanks, Joey. Take care. Yep. You too. All right, guys, so that's a wrap for episode nine of the Joe Money Podcast, my interview with Steven Spicer, the founder of Spicer Capital. I really had a great time talking with him on the show today, and I definitely hope that you feel the same way. I know there was a ton of information in that show, and if you really want to see the entire video breakdown that Steven made on his YouTube channel that we just went through, go to YouTube and type in... Steven Spicer on the search and he'll be the first thing that pops up. And then when you sort his videos by most popular, it'll be in that first row. You'll see it, how to protect your portfolio in a stock market crash. Great video, very well laid out. And if you want to see the incredible content that Steven is making on Instagram, which I mentioned in the show, head over to Instagram and search Spicer Capital. S-P-I-C-E-R-C-A-P-I-T-A-L. You'll see him. You'll see his face. He has 7,300 followers on Instagram. And again, he's coming up on 10,000 subscribers on YouTube. So be sure to give him a follow, give him a subscribe, check out his content. And of course, if you have any questions for him, send me or him a DM and we'll definitely be quick to respond to you. So I hope you enjoyed the show. If you have any questions or comments or insight to give to me or Steven, please reach out to both of us. And in order to help the Joe Money Podcast grow, if you haven't already, be sure to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or whatever podcast platform you are listening to. And if you enjoy it, or even if you have some critiques to give to me, leave a review as well so I can go through them. I do read each and every one of them. And I can figure out what I'm doing well and what I need to improve on. So hope you enjoyed the show. Going to have a lot more episodes coming to you soon. And as always, get your money right.